0: 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading at verse 23, and then I'm going to read down through chapter 2 and verse 11. So chapter 1, verse 23 through chapter 2 and verse 11. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, but to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. But I determined this with myself, that it would not come unto you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? I wrote this same unto you, lest, when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly done to you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I might, ought, may not overcharge you all. sufficient sufficient to such a man as this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow wherefore i beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him for to this end also did i write that i might know the proof of you whether you be obedient in all things to whom ye forgive anything i forgive also for if i forgive anything to whom i forgive it forgave i for your sakes forgave i it in the person of christ lest satan should get an advantage over us for we are not ignorant of his devices. The title of the message this morning is, Helpers of Your Joy. Helpers of Your Joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have to assemble together and to open your precious word. I pray that we allow the Spirit of God to teach us, to instruct us, to encourage us, to convict us where conviction is needed that the Lord Jesus Christ may exalt, be exalted and lifted up in our midst, and he might be glorified, that we might be drawn to him. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it was God's design and is his desire that man and woman enjoy life. But you know, there's a lot of people that don't enjoy life. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink, and enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. God wants you to enjoy life. However, by yielding to the temptation of the devil and the resulting curse of sin, man has lost the joy of life. We've lost the joy of life, which can only be restored with a right relationship with the Lord. David said in Psalm 51, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, in Psalm 51, his psalm of repentance, in verses 10 and through 12, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free, that word free there means generous and willing spirit. In the ministry of the church, the body of Christ, each local church, is to restore one to a right relationship with the Lord, and in that process, to have them receive or know the joy of the Lord. The joy of life that will be restored. And this is what Paul's talking about here, and he says in verse 24, We're helpers of your joy. Helpers of your joy. So I want to consider three things this morning, and then I have some subpoints. First of all, the direction of the laborer. In verses twenty-three and twenty-four, he gives us several things, and I want to notice several things here, two things in particular. First of all, the direction of labor is to lead. Verse 24. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith ye stand. So the direction of the laborer, whether it's a pastor or whether it's somebody that's trying to help somebody else and minister to them, is not to is to lead them. It's not to have dominion over them. Now I understand there are there are uh, lords in the ministry and there's hirelings in the ministry. Ministry's like anything else. There's good. Pastors and there's pastors that are not so good. Just like there is in the police. But you know, I believe that the the, 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 the the majority of men in the ministry have a desire to lead their people and not have dominion over them. He says we're not to have dominion over, to be a lord over, or to rule over. Uh, in Luke 22, 22 and verses 24 and 26, Jesus told his disciples that there, you know, there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that does serve. You see, the ministry, and, and even uh, the position as a pastor, is a service. Police are to serve their service. Governors are to serve their people. Any position of authority is a place of service. And even as you might have opportunity to minister to other people, what you're doing is serving them. Serving them. You shouldn't desire to have dominion or control over the life, but to lead them. How do you lead? You go ahead they follow. It's sort of like I had an old preacher one time used the illustration of a chain. Your chain has links. Did you ever try pushing a chain? You know, that's dominion. Try and push it. You no, know, you have to pull it. It's like sheep. You can't push sheep. You can't drive sheep. They'll just scatter. You no, know, you have to lead them. The shepherd calls to them. He puts out a call to them to follow him, and they have to, of their own free will, follow him. But they learn to trust and to love the shepherd. In uh, 1 Peter 5, Peter (laughs) said this, Feed the flock of God, addressing pastors here, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, that is the leadership thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. See, a lord tells you what to do. A leader gives you instruction. Your leader will give you instruction or advice through Bible principles, principles and questions for you to consider to help you decide what to do the Lord says you go there I knew an evangelist he used to appoint pastors to churches now some of you are looking like yeah I know and uh, things didn't end well with him he was a Lord obviously he was a Lord No, See, a Lord says, you go there, a leader says, follow my example. Paul said three times under inspiration, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So it's a following. And again, to follow means you willingly follow. You're not forced to. A Lord makes your decision. You know, if you were a slave... And you had a Lord. He just simply makes the decisions for you. And again, a leader allows you to make your own decision. You see, Paul gave to the church at Corinth Bible principles to guide them. But it was up to them to put them into practice. He said, "I not, again, not that for that we have dominion over your faith. I don't have dominion over your faith. I want you to choose to obey the Lord. I want you to choose. You know, God given us a, each a free will. Because God wants us to choose. To follow him. And so, the direction of labor is to lead. Not to have dominion. Uh, the, uh, he's also a companion in the work. Notice again verse 24. Not for that we have dominion over faith. But our helpers of your joy... For by faith ye stand. The word helper means a companion in the work. A fellow worker. You know, we labor with you to the end that we, together, may rejoice together. That's our goal. You know, as a pastor and as Christians, we should not seek to run people's lives... Or crave authority in their affairs, but seek to be a help to them. You know, when you go out in, a, in your in everyday in your in your everyday world, we need to seek to be a help, a help to other people to the, bring them to a place that they would know the joy of the Lord in their life, as God designed it to be. Sometimes that means risking a friendship. Or division in a relationship if the instruction or correction is not received you know, if the you know, this is really I believe the third third letter that Paul wrote to them uh because he says in chapter thirteen, we'll get to that later. he says this is the third time I am coming to you, so seven so there's another letter that Paul wrote that was not inspired, that he had written before that was not uh, kept and put into the canon of scripture. And and so this is the third time he wrote to them and it, but you know as we know from studying 1 Corinthians he he wrote some very severe correction to church of Corinth. And there's a possibility, you know there was a possibility they might not receive it. They might say, "No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to follow you, Paul." That was their choice. That was their choice, and they would have went their way, and Paul would have went his. There'd have been a division. You know, sometimes when you try to help people, they reject it, and they go your way, their way, and you continue on in yours. That's the risk, but you know the risk is worth it. You know, in everything, there's a risk. If you want to be a success in life, if you, want to, if you want to have your own business, you know what? There's a risk. There's a risk. There's always a risk that has to be taken. I remember one time, there was a situation with a brother in another church. And uh, who, where we were in, who, who I was talking with him one day, and, and, and I'd given him something. And, and he demonstrated a very bad attitude. That was a very bad attitude. It was not right. And I thought to myself, you know, I should talk to him about that. But he was quite well to do and favored in the church. And the thought crossed my mind what if he gets defensive? Uh, it's none of my business, you know. I you know, and I started making reasoning why I sh- it was none of my business to go and talk to him about this situation. So I argue with myself. No, I argue with the Spirit of God. Finally, the Lord said, You know, you have a responsibility to try to help him. So the next day I went to his place of business. And I walked in, said hello, sat down, went to open my mouth, and he started to apologize. You see, but there was a risk there. But we, you see, we are. Paul said, you know, Paul wrote this, First Corinthians, and he said, I wrote this because I'm a helper for your joy. I want you to have the joy of the Lord that I have. Because of the relationship I have with the Lord, I want you to have also. And so, as laborers together, we're to be helpers together of our joy, of each other's joy. And we can do that with one another in the church. You know, I like what Ephesians 4 says, where the body, uh, and, 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 um, uh, in Ephesians 4.16, it says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You know, we can edify one another or increase one another's joy or encourage one another. In the Lord. And so because so we are companions in the work of the Lord. I want you to notice the second thing, the determination of the labor in, uh, in verses 1 and 2. And I want you to notice here uh, three things. First of all, if you consider this. He, the labor is to show compassion in correction. But notice verses 1 and 2. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me. Paul had delayed, Paul had determined that he was going to go back to Corinth at some time. But he had delayed his going. Actually he had been hindered by the Lord. And there were some where he were even questioning, well, you know, Paul's strong when he writes letters, but he's weak in presence, so he's afraid to come and, you know, and they were criticizing him. And he said this, I determined this. That I was not going to come again to you in heaviness. You see, Paul was considerate of their feelings. Therefore, he delayed his visit to them not to cause further distress than already was evident at the church of Corinth. Now, some may think, well, he should have just went and straightened out that mess at Corinth. Well, now, if he'd have gone at the time attended, as he mentions in verse 1, it would have been an occasion for severe discipline, because they had some serious problems. And he had written with plain instructions how to correct their sin, but in compassion for them he gave them time to correct it on their own. Now, some may consider this compromise. Uh, Clark said in his commentary quote because of the scandals that were among them he could not see them comfortably and therefore he determined not to see them at all till he had reason to believe that those evils were put away unquote you know and again this doesn't mean he condoned their sin or compromised. compromise it simply means that the offender is given the opportunity to repent and to seek forgiveness for their sins you know sometimes you know, we, we we can be sometimes we can be too harsh or too severe too quickly God gave those people in Noah's day, how long? 120 years. That's a long time. I don't think God's going to give you 120 years because you're not going to live that long. We don't live as long as they lived back then. But God does give us opportunities to repent. And and go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And of course, this, there is a process when there's a, a sinning brother or sister, as there was at Corinth. You know, we know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But there's a process. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or one with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so there is a process that that, you know a person goes through uh, 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 when there's sin in the church here, but we see here that Paul's giving them opportunity to repent. And so he delayed his going to them. He had compassion and concern for them, and would give them opportunity to correct their own sin in their church. Secondly, we have to understand that joy comes through correction. If you notice in verse 2, For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? These people were were a source of joy to Paul. They were the fruit of his labor. He didn't want to punish them. He wanted to feed them. The word of God. Again, understand Paul had dealt very severely with them in 1 Corinthians. He had already rightly corrected. He had reproved them. He had, in fact, he said they were carnal. They act like babies. In, in chapter uh, chapter three, First Corinthians three, he had rebuked them for the divisions, he had uh, for overlooking the immorality among them. He had instructed them to discipline the erring member, First Corinthians five. But his joy was to see them embrace the truth and blossom in a joyful Christian life. That was his goal. But see, we have to understand sometimes that joy comes through correction. You know, Proverbs twenty nine seventeen says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Have you been to Walmart lately and seen some kids that weren't unhappy in Walmart? You've all seen them. You know why they're not happy? Because they've not been Corrected. They've not been disciplined. They throw their little tantrum tantrums because they're not getting their own way. Because they're used to getting their own way because they have not been corrected. Joy comes through correction. If we want to have the joy of the Lord, we have to correct our way with the Lord. We have to correct our way with the Lord. Third John, verse 4, John wrote, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in the truth. You know, that's what the Lord is saying to His churches. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in the truth. I mean, to walk in the truth is to walk with God. To walk in disobedience is to walk separated from God. You see, the problem with these little brats in Walmart is they're not in harmony with their parents. There's not unity there because they are not corrected. And there is no joy either for the parent or for the child. Either one. We have a lot of grown-up brats in our world today who are very unhappy. Why? Because they will not submit to their authorities. They will not to obey the truth, and they're unhappy, even though they're getting their own way. They're never satisfied. See, joy comes through correction. You think about the churches that Paul wrote to and why they brought him joy. Philippians 4, 1 says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crying so stand fast, and Lord, my dearly beloved. Why were they a joy to him? Why did they have joy? Because they had corrected their way before the Lord. You see, we have to understand that joy comes through correction. The third thing I see here is, As we consider the determination of labor, that is, that is his work, we have to demonstrate confidence. In verse three, he says, And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come, when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice. Having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. You know, in spite of the carnality shown by the the saints at Corinth, they were saints. Paul had confidence in them and the Lord working in their lives to conform them to his own image. He was was confident that if they were given the truth to correct their way, he had confidence that the Lord, between, that, that, that they would Receive the truth, obey the truth. And make the corrections. He was confident that their sin was pointed out. They would see their need to correct their error. After all, they were saved. They had the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And, and they, 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 they could understand the truth. You see, we need to have confidence. And we need to have confidence in the power of God to change lives. And not easily give up on people. We have to have wisdom to give people time to grow. To repent. To change. And to correct the error of their way. And so. Paul demonstrated this confidence. In the saints at Corinth. You know, we have confidence that the Lord can work in people's hearts and bring about the change that He desires. Then I want you to notice the third thing the confirmation received. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse, verse 9. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you whether you be obedient in all things. You know the little children's song that we all learned in Sunday school courses obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Obedience is the proof of true discipleship and of a true church. You know, it demonstrates the reality of a right relationship with the Lord. This is why Paul had confidence in the church at Corinth and the saints there. He believed they had a relationship with the Lord, a true relationship with the Lord, and though they had many problems that they were had to overcome, he had confidence that the Word of God would work in their hearts and they would repent of their sins and make things right with the Lord. And so obedience is the proof of that true discipleship. You know, a real loving father and mother will discipline their children to bring about the correction needed. You know, Proverbs three, eleven through twelve says, My son despise not the chastening the Lord, neither be weary of his correction, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a son the father in whom he delighteth. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, "He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth chasteneth him, chasteneth him betimes." And so there was this correction that was given, and obedience shows demonstrates a true relationship with the father. And so they were that we see here they were obedient to discipline and to demonstrate their obedience of the church at Corinth, they were obedient to discipline the offender. Notice verses back up to verses 5 and 6. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I might not overcharge all of you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was afflicted of many. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man who was in fornication that wasn't even named among the Gentiles. It was believed that a man was in fornication, immorality, with his stepmom, stepmother. And Paul said, you're puffed up, and and you should put this man out uh, for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So you need to put him out of the church. They were to discipline this offender. They had exercised discipline to the erring member, and they stood firm in it. They'd done what Paul instructed them to do. They had disciplined him. Go to Second Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians chapter three, Paul gives us here some instruction concerning discipline of erring members. Verse fourteen If any obey not, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. You count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So they were to discipline. If, if, if a man doesn't obey the word of God, he's to be disciplined. Or a member doesn't obey the word. He's to be disciplined. And, and it says that he may be ashamed. Uh, the word shame here, or shame, really means to shame one. It means properly to turn one upon himself. Well, that's interesting. That's what repentance is. The Bible says in Acts chapter 21, verse 20, or is it twenty twenty-one? repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. When you repent toward God, you turn away from yourself. It's no longer, am I right? You see, you leave yourself and you adhere to the truth. And the word shame means here to turn one upon Himself. It's to take God's side against yourself. It's in essence to say, God is right. My way has been wrong. My way has been wrong. Therefore, I submit to Him. You see, that's the purpose of of church discipline, so a person will be ashamed. They will turn upon themselves, not destroy themselves, but they'll turn upon themselves and say, "Acknowledge that, you know what, my way's wrong, God's way's right. I'm gonna turn from my way to God's way." You know, this this man, as we see here in verses five and six, this man was brought to grief over his sin. Verse six says, sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. So that contrary you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So it brought him to grief that all his Christian friends had forsaken him. They had put him out of the church. He was no longer welcome there. They had put him out. They didn't want anything to do with him. They treat him like a heathen man. And it brought him to grief. Caused him to be ashamed. And to examine himself and come to the realization, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. God's right. And God's church is right. And I'm going to submit to them. You know, sometimes for us to have joy of the Lord requires surgery. You know, sometimes in life, you get sick. And the only possible solution is surgery. Do you know what surgery means? Pain. Pain. Right, Bethany? Pain. There's always pain associated with surgery. But if you don't have the surgery, you may die. See the problem is we don't always want to do what we want. We we don't always want to do what we need to do or should do. Many times the wrong way seems easier, more pleasurable, more popular, However, the end is never pleasing. It's an accompanied with bitter fruit. Ask Jacob. The heartaches he brought into his life because of his sin. Samson was having fun. He was having fun. And he funned the spirit right out of his life. The Bible says he wished not that the spirit of God had departed from Oh, he was having fun. Playing with the Philistines. Ha, ha, ha. You know, they think they got me captured. You know, I'll go down there and visit Delilah and have my fun. And they think they got me captured. And I'll just go out and carry off the gates of the city and that weighed probably a ton. Or take those cords and beat them. He's just having fun. But he was brought. To shame and ruin. But see, if we will humble and repent, we will find the second thing we see here, forgiveness extended. Notice verses seven and eight. So that contrary rise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. So when a person repents of their sin, we are to forgive them and restore them to fellowship. You know, this is to be the purpose and the motive for church discipline to begin with. It's not to drive them out the door. It's to see them get right with God and His church and have the joy of the Lord in their own life. Luke 17, 3 and 4, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. If he trespass against thee seven times a day, and seven times a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And I think the idea he was saying here is that uh, you're to forgive him in, in, in a way that the relationship is restored. You know, when a parent... A father takes a disobedient child and disciplines them. They are to discipline them till the relationship is restored. If the child is still angry or still rebellious, the discipline has not been ministered correctly or sufficiently.
1: Because what you're doing in
0: essence is you're clearing them of a guilty conscience. Just like when we come to God and we confess our sin, the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our life. You know what He does? He gives us a clear conscience. And the joy of the Lord is restored. And the relationship is restored. And so when when there's repentance, there needs to be forgiveness. We are to confirm our love. Paul says, confirm your love toward him. And this this spoils Satan's advantage. You know, Satan desires to get advantage over us. Notice verse 10 11. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, or like in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for you are not ignorant of his devices. You, We can be wrong in two extremes as often is the case. Neither one is destructive. You can be permissive and allow sin to go unchecked. Your parents can be permissive and allow the children to rebel against them and allow it to go unchecked. But if you do that, well, First Corinthians 5, Paul said this, your glory is not good. Know you not the little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened, for you and Christ are Passover, a sacrifice for us. You see, if we are permissive, allow sin to go unchecked, compromise leads to infidelity, outright unbelief. It'll ruin your church, it would ruin your home. Permissiveness. Or the other extreme is we can be cold, hard, and unforgiving. That leads to legalism, like the Pharisees, and that leads to the same place infidelity. Just in a different looking package. That's really all it is. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three: Row unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cummin, have omitted the weightier matters of the law judgment, mercy. And faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. You see, we are to make judgments. We are to judge sin. To correct it. We are also to offer mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. You see, if we, if we are unforgiving, we will give Satan the advantage. He says, if you don't forgive this man, he's going to be swallowed up of overmuch sorrow. And so, as laborers, as helpers of your joy, we must. We must correct. Judge, make judgments that you can be brought, that each of us can be brought into a right relationship with the Lord and have the joy of the Lord. We also have to be willing to forgive and restore the relationships. And so we are to labor together, encouraging, helping one another in a right relationship with the Lord that we might have the joy of the Lord in our lives. Are you laboring together, helping one another? Do they have the joy of the right relationship with the Lord? You can have. It may require some corrections in your life. But it's God's desire and God's design that you and I enjoy life. But it is the fruit of... Of a right relationship with the Lord. You know, Nehemiah told the children of Israel. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If we're going to enjoy life. Have peace and joy in our life. We have to have a right relationship with the Lord. Is that yours this morning? No. We'd love to help you.